So what's number four? Well, I'm glad you asked, even though I'm talking to myself in a room by myself. But hey, doesn't that doesn't Spider-Man do that all the time? Uh, was Spider-Man like the first inspiration for YouTubers in the f- sense that he was the first hero to talk to himself? Hello, my name is David Shire, and welcome back to How It's Going So Far, the only podcast with the world's number one Spider-Man fan. That's right, I am claiming the throne, and uh, if you want to challenge me on it, then I'm setting a date for November 15th on my Google Calendar, and on that date, I'm going to dress up as one famous Spider-Man villain, Bonesaw, and we're going to rent out like Madison Square Garden, and if you can last three minutes in the ring with me, then you can claim to be the number one Spider-Man fan, but if not, I'm going to be out there breaking backs and breaking necks, all right? So I'm challenging you November 15th, but (laughs) all joking aside... uh, The reason why I'm doing this podcast a little bit earlier is, uh, as you know, typically I will do a podcast once every two weeks uh, just to kind of make sure that I have enough time to prepare a script and prepare like my different thoughts on different movies. But I just saw Spider-Man No Way Home and I came out of that movie feeling really excited. So I thought that this podcast I would focus more on uh, generally like the overall legacy of Spider-Man, talk a little bit about my personal experience, especially with like the older Spider-Man movies. And this podcast is really just going to be a ranking of all of the Spider-Man films uh, that I have seen, uh, which is all of them, right? (laughs) Unless there's like some super secret like Toei Animation uh, Spider-Man, Japanese Spider-Man movie that came out, uh, which I would not cover anyway because Toei uh, has recently come under fire on YouTube for copyright striking a bunch of videos. That's a whole thing in itself and a total sidebar, but check it out if you want. So yeah, we're going to be covering uh, all the Spider-Man movies, including uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. This is going to be mostly spoiler-free. When I start talking about Spider-Man No Way Home spoilers, I will alert you in the episode and give you some time codes on where it is I stopped talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. But this is a general overall ranking of all the Spider-Man films that have come out. So let's go ahead, let's get started and jump right into it. Starting with number nine, the worst Spider-Man film by... By a lot, I would say, is Amazing Spider-Man 2. Now, I do have a really fun memory about Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, It was one of the first movies I've ever taken a girl out on a date to. And my brother... My brother... um, I don't know if I've told this on the podcast, but my brother is actually on the autism spectrum. And so... Because of that, he kind of has trouble with dealing with crowds and stuff like that. And Spider-Man is also his, like, by far favorite... Uh, comic book hero of all time. And so when I went to go uh, take this girl out uh, to go see Amazing Spider-Man 2, I had to to bring my brother with me. Like, I had to. And uh, my brother can be very particular with people and and can kind of be weirdly aggressive with people. And so in this movie, I remember watching, watching it and I remember... I remember we were sitting in the theaters and he had to stand up and go to the restroom because Jake, also, my brother Jake, also has like an issue where like if we we always order like a large soda and he like drinks it all like a madman and then has to like go use the restroom a bunch of times. And so he was sitting in the most interior side of the theater and he got up and he walked past me and my girl and my girlfriend and he just like he like 
leaned in close to me as he was walking out and I was like, what, what are you trying to do? <laughs> and he was leaning in close to me and he just like whispered to me. He's like, I hate your girlfriend. And he just kind of continued walking on. And again, this was like my second date with this girl. And so I thought that if she had overheard that she was going to be really offended by it and that my chances of continuing to date her were just completely over. But luckily she didn't. And that's like the best memory I have of Amazing Spider-Man 2, right? That's the only thing I remember uh, that was positive of this movie. Because the truth is, this movie really is uh, a mess. It lacks a lot of focus. It has too too many characters. Um, well, I would say it has too many characters, but... The reason why I would say that is it tries to focus on those characters without really focusing on the main character, which would be Spider-Man, right? Uh, Jamie Foxx as Electro is really wasted and very underused, and it felt that the movie was more focused on trying to explore Peter's parents' past than it was to create a a genuinely interesting villain for Spider-Man to fight in the movie. You also get, like, Green Goblin showing up as Harry Osborn, which was just a weird decision. And overall, it just it, it was just a mess. Like it was trying to be like five different Spider-Man movies and it didn't really focus up on any one particular thing. The moment that I that's the most memorable moment and the standout moment of the film it was when Gwen Stacy died, but it wasn't really a surprise. You know, like it wasn't really this surprising moment for the film. And honestly, it might have been better had Gwen Stacy just survived that. Because with Gwen Stacy's backstory, everybody kind of already knew, like as comic fans, we know that Spider-Man's first love, Gwen Stacy, is the girl that dies. She's the person that that uh, that gets killed, that is... It's super famous because it was the first time that's ever happened in a comic book where the love interest, like the Lois Lane, gets killed in, the, in comics. And it's really hard to to kill Gwen Stacy without it being with it being a surprise. And I think it would have been more surprising had she survived and had they just kind of broken up. I thought that would have been a more interesting place to leave, to leave that character. But instead uh, she ends up passing and overall it just, it doesn't again, it was his best moment, but it just didn't work. And then just everything about the movie was just so disjointed. And even though, even though I do like Andrew Garfield and uh, we'll <laughs> we might we might be talking about his second movie coming up. Uh, I feel like that this movie by far is just the worst Spider-Man movie that has come out, and I don't think it's really that close. All right, so let's move on to number eight, um, the Amazing Spider-Man. Again, again, I really I really like Andrew Garfield. Like I do not want I do not want the podcast listeners to think that I do not that I hate Andrew Garfield in any way, shape, or form. I just don't particularly love his movies. Now, this movie is a little bit more interesting in terms of... I would say that it's an okay movie that's just kind of... that kind of, like, revels in mediocrity, right? It's not, it's not like, necessarily so bad, but I don't... I cannot say that it's, like, great either. Um, there there are more things in this movie that I like, that I remember, uh, as opposed to uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. I think that uh, some of the fights with the lizard and the fact that it did try to create this kind of grittier tone with Spider-Man, the fact that uh, Peter does get beat up in this film, and uh, the scene where him and Gwen... Uh, Gwen are just kind of where he's all slashed up and sitting there and then uh, Gwen's trying to take care of him. I thought was actually this really interesting moment and something that we hadn't seen uh, Spider-Man have to deal with before. 
Um, I thought that there's this one shot with uh, Kirk Connors where he's looking in the mirror and he has his one arm that's showing in the mirror. And then like on uh, in the mirror, it, you could see the reflection of his arm and it kind of uh, it, it mirrors his arm. It's really cool. And it's really great use of foreshadowing. And there's there's overall there's interesting ideas in the movie. But it just again, it I think what happens, what happened in these two films particularly was it really does feel like the studio interfered quite a bit with the movies and really took Mark Webb's kind of direction maybe away from him, even though he would never like admit that there was, uh, it definitely feels that way. And it felt like the movies were kind of setting up for other different movies. Right. And then also I think that the uncle Ben and Peter relationship wasn't done super well. Uh, Uncle Ben gave like this really weird, <laughs> really weird, like responsibility speech that goes on forever. And when you could really just sum it up in like, with great power comes great responsibility. And he was just being like a weirdo about trying to give Peter that advice. Uh, again, like overall, I, I loved I like, well, I don't say love. I liked Andrew Garfield's take on Spider-Man. I wish that he was in better movies, but unfortunately he was in these kind of movies that were more convoluted and complicated than they needed to be for a Spider-Man film, which is why they're both kind of on the bottom tier for me. But moving on, let's talk about number seven, Spider-Man 3. (laughs) Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. Now this movie is a mess and it's but it's one of these messy movies that I actually kind of love in some ways like it has a lot of the same problems that Amazing Spider-Man 2 presents right there's too many villains the story is a little bit overly convoluted but it also just has like these really fun bad scenes that I could watch over and over again that I I still remember to this day right I think the whole Peter dancing and being all cringy is just one of the great is just one of those great bad movie scenes that I will remember for the rest of the days of my life. Like if I'm like suffering, like if uh, if I ever lose my memory, like future wife, and I, I can't remember anything, and you just start playing that scene in Amazing Spider-Man uh, uh, 3, I will, I will literally jolt back to life and just remember, oh yeah, like step on this, you know, <laughs> like I will start, I will start having flashbacks to, to this and then you could pull me up for a little bit. I, um, again, it, the movie to me feels like a home run derby in the sense that it, it is really just trying its best to hit every single scene out of the park. And what's weird about it is it it actually does succeed sometimes. There are some scenes in the movie, for example, like anything to do with Sandman in the movie outside of the ending because it kind of becomes a mess. But the, fir- the first couple of the fight with Sandman in the um, in the tunnels uh, with the trains and also the scene where Sandman is reforming is really just two straight home runs. I also really like the scene where... Um, where Peter and Harry like fight and they have like this really fun dynamic where both of them know each other so well and you get you get a really fun moments that are still referenced today with jerky Peter Parker right i love that the the problem <laughs> the problem is is you have this really great scene where Peter beats up his best friend Harry blows him up and it's like this really dramatic moment and then the next moment is the dancing scene and it just feels so disconjointed but it's just so it's so bizarre and Everything to do with Venom also just does not really work with this film. Uh, there's a lot of there is a lot of documentation talking about how 
how much that Sam Raimi didn't want to even add Venom to the movie and how that was really more of a studio request from Avi Arid, uh, you know, who's a pretty famous uh, Spider-Man producer and who's a big Venom fan and is currently producing the Venom films, which are fun and dumb, but, you know, <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't say they're good necessarily. And, and you really see that. You really see that Sam Raimi cared specifically more so about the Sandman and his relationship with his daughter. And, and if given more time, I think he could have fleshed out the, uh, the Harry Osborn relationship with Peter. I think that could have been a really interesting thing that both of them uh, could have dealt with. Uh, I just, it just, it was just so, so messy. And that's that being said, though, too, there was also just cu- a couple of decisions with Sandman that I thought were a bit weird. I thought it was a bit weird that they retroactively made Sandman the shooter of Ben Parker. And it's a fact that I always that I forgot about until I watched like a recent um, a recent like somebody reacting to the movie um, and and Harry's story, because I and I'll give a little bit of slack to our, towards Harry Harry's portion of the story, uh, Harry Osborne's portion of the story, because it did feel like they were kind of cramming it in there when they were trying to fit in the Venom arc and the Sandman arc. That Harry story probably got really shafted by that, but it was it was really weird. The whole amnesia plotline and him and him and Spider Man become him and Peter becoming best friends again. Uh, it was just weird and bizarre, and I wish that they just didn't do it. Like, maybe put it on hold for one more movie. But uh, it just... Overall, it's just such a messy movie, but it's also... Again, like, I also remember so much of it that I can't really say that I completely hate it. And so, which is why I put it at number seven. Because it's a movie that I would actually go and revisit versus Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2. Which, Amazing Spider-Man, I might revisit. Whereas Amazing Spider-Man 2, I don't really ever plan to watch that movie ever again. Unless I really wanted to create... Unless there's, like, some content reason as to why I would want to watch it. So, that's why I put Spider-Man 3 as number seven. Now, number six, and I'm going to double check here, uh, just make sure I did my numbering correctly. So, number six, I would put uh, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Now, the reason why I put Spider-Man Far From Home at this spot is that, for me, it felt more of an MCU palette cleanser than of a Spider movie. Like, it came out after Endgame, and Endgame was a very heavy movie for a lot of people, and I feel like the MCU was trying to kind of lighten the mood a little bit uh, after after uh, Endgame came out, and Sp- the, and Spider Man came uh, was a pretty good palate cleanser. But I kind of wish that they just gave it to some other character. Like at that point, just make a Hawkeye movie or something if you want like an in between uh, film uh, for for it, right? And to me, to me, there's also kind of this debate in my head that about like. Far from home. Far from home. You can kind of make, you can kind of see the MCU problems, because uh, I feel I feel there's really two different types of MCU movies. There are MCU movies that take the time to tackle deeper themes and use their superheroes in really interesting ways, and then there's other MCU movies that are more focused on giving uh, general updates to the plot of the overarching MCU narrative. And so I guess the best example I could think of is that you look at a movie like Ant-Man, which is a fun a fun origin story, but the whole purpose of that movie is just to introduce Ant-Man into the MCU. 
where and doesn't really have like deeper themes versus a, a movie like Black Panther, which explores like deeper themes of race relations and is just overall a better movie, even though I think that Black Panther its first its second half is much better than its first half. I still think that the themes that it explores uh, warrants it to be like one of the upper echelons in in MCU films. So and Far From Home kind of falls more into the latter than the former. Like there doesn't there's not like a major theme that I can remember. I guess the biggest theme that I can think of off the top of my head is um, the theme of of legacy, right? You see you see Tony Stark's legacy and how it affects like multiple people in the MCU, specifically Quentin Beck as Mysterio, and how it kind of negatively affected him and kind of turned him into a supervillain, versus the legacy of Peter Parker, who Tony really spent the time to mentor and really spent the time to show love to, that he ultimately kind of becomes the next like great hero of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. While all that's great, it really doesn't relate too much specifically to Spider-Man, and it just it doesn't work as well. Uh, but there are standout moments. I thought his fight with Mysterio is really great. I thought Jake Gyllenhaal's performance as Mysterio is really great. But again, this kind of felt more of a filler in between uh, Marvel movie. Even if it's one of its best filler in between Marvel uh, MCU movies, uh, it's I still I still have to put it down here with number at number six. Now, number five. Might be a little controversial. I don't know. Like, it might be... Oh, I mean, this whole list might be controversial because some people really love Andrew Garfield and w- would put, like, his movies at number one, or at least Amazing Spider-Man at number one, which is ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> number five, and I, I've been going back and forth on this one, but I would say Spider-Man Homecoming is the number five Spider-Man movie uh, out there. Uh, I could honestly... I it, It's been so close that I could switch it with the number four uh, Spider-Man film pretty easily, but I decided to keep it here because again, the thing that it is missing is it's missing like a really hyper-focused look at Peter's story. And with the introduction of Iron Man and him kind of helping him out, uh, I feel like it does take away a little bit from Peter's journey. But that being said, I think what this movie does a lot better than Far From, Ho- Far From Home is actually, is actually taking that idea of Spider-Man not really knowing what he's doing and making it part of the theme of the overall movie, right? At the beginning of the film, I mean, we see Peter in the in the Tony Stark made Spider-Man suit, and he is he is you know being a hero. He's taking he's he is learning to take care of things on his own. But throughout the movie, he fails, right? He he's not being very successful, and eventually, what ends up happening is Tony takes away his uh, takes back his Spider-Man suit. And it's only when uh, when Peter kind of learns that, like, look, you know what? I can't rely on all these gadgets. I just got to rely on myself. That then he puts on like his homemade suit at the end for the final third act. That he really does does become Spider Man for me. They cements himself as Spider Man for me in the MCU. And honestly, it's kind of this great little arc that he goes on, right? And looking back on the, on the film and thinking about where it was where I was at during the film, um, it it was a really, really heavy burden for Tom Holland to take, right? Like we had just seen the amazing Spider-Man movies and they were not good, right? <laughs> they were, they were honestly, they were bad. And as we kind of saw through this list and there's a lot riding on Tom Holland because there's a lot of excitement seeing him in Civil War, but can he carry his own film? And the answer was yes, 
Kind of, right? Like, because they, they still, you know, threw Spider-Man and all the promotional materials and stuff like that to kind of help out boost sales or whatever. But overall, I think the movie was really, really fun and really engaging. I would say my favorite moments by far were the scenes with any scenes with the Vulture. I thought the Vulture was like a very interesting villain. And his personal connection with Spider-Man really raises him above uh, Mysterio in the sense that, like, you know, ha- that big reveal in theaters where it turns out that the vulture is actually Liz's dad, uh, the l- main love interest of Spider-Man in the movie. I just remember I could hear a pin drop when that happened. And then the whole tense car ride scene was just so, so good, where he pulls out the gun and basically threatens Peter that he's going to murder his entire family if he doesn't stop. Just really, really cheap primo Spider-Man content right there. Also, I just love the uh, the scene where it's a callback to the comics where Peter Peter has to um, has to lift up the boulders and get himself out of the rubble. And yeah, there is like that cheesy moment where he looks into the water and sees his mask, and then shows the half reflection of him, his face, and Spider Man's face. That some people criticize for being too cheesy. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, I love I love like showing visual sim. Uh, uh, visual uh, motifs like that. So overall, like there is arguments that you can make that could put this movie higher on the list, but I feel like it comfortably for me sits here at number five of the Spider-Man films. So what's number four? Well, I'm glad you asked, even though I'm talking to myself in a room by myself. But hey, doesn't that doesn't Spider-Man do that all the time? Uh, was Spider-Man like the first inspiration for YouTubers in the f- sense that he was the first hero to talk to himself and just be entertaining talking to himself? Uh, but anyway, moving forward, number four is Spider-Man. All right, Spider-Man, the 2003, I think it was 2003, maybe it was 2002. We're going to say it was sometime between 2003 and 2002, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. And, and again, very difficult. It was very hard to pick this over Homecoming. But for me, what it really came down to was that this was the movie that started it all for me in terms of in terms of film, right? I, I remember this specifically being one of the first movies that I'd ever seen. I remember my dad taking me to theaters, uh, eating that popcorn and watching this film and just being so amazed by it as a kid that it really holds a real special place in my heart. Uh, and while some of the scenes do look outdated, and it is weird seeing a bunch of thirty-year-olds uh, going to high school, uh, it just—it just you got it. You got to put in context that this was the movie that set the bar for any superhero movie going forward. Before before Spider-Man, there was like the X-Men movies, and while the first X-Men is pretty good, uh, I would say that this Spider-Man movie is the one that really really stands out as like, okay, this is the movie that all other superhero movies are going to be judged upon, right? I think that out of all origin films, it is one of the best. I think that I can't, off the top of my head, I can't really think of a better origin film. Like, it doesn't fall into the same weird origin movie traps where it has like a bad villain uh, that's just kind of a carbon copy with like the same powers as the main hero. Uh, having Green Goblin be the main villain of the of the uh, the first Spider-Man, I thought was an amazing choice. I thought that 
uh, Norman Osborn, um, aka Willem Dafoe's performance as Norman Osborn, just really scared me as a kid. And it kind of scares me more now as an adult because that dude has one of the most craziest faces I've ever seen. And he's just such a good actor that he really he really carries that villain role on his back. Yeah, some of his lines are super cheesy, but like just the way that Willem Dafoe delivers it, it really doesn't matter. He is just so committed to that character that it really works. And it does it does do a great job of exploring kind of these deeper themes of Spider-Man. You know, I think my favorite scene in the movie is the scene where the Green Goblin captures uh, captures Spider-Man, and then they both have a talk, and he said, and Green Goblin lays it out like, "Look, you know, you're a great hero, and people love you right now, but you know what? People love more watching heroes fall." And he gives like this great monologue, and he tells him to think about it. And Peter's choice to just continue fighting him and continue to do what is right is just really great, and is Spider-Man. Also, it's the greatest Uncle Ben death scene. I think that uh, Toby, that Toby by far like really sells that scene. And while Toby, you know, isn't as charismatic as Spider Man as maybe some people were hoping, I think his Peter Parker is just so much of like this kicked puppy. Like that's how I kind of describe his Peter Parker is that like he looks like a, a puppy that like walks up on your doorstep that's starving and maybe just got kicked and you just want to like take him in and cuddle him uh, and just tell him that the world's going to be all right. That's the way I would I would describe Peter in this movie and in uh, his other movie that we'll be talking about shortly. And I think that's what really works. There's just so much nostalgia for this movie and there's times where I even think about it and I want to put it above Spider-Man 2. But Spider-Man 2 just like has aged so much better and its themes of being Spider-Man are just so much deeper that I have to kind of keep it here at no- the number four spot, right? But controversy time. Speaking of Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 2 is my number three movie. And this was tough. This was tough for me to come to because I had to, before recording this podcast for for this, I had to rewatch Spider-Man 2 because I just watched... Uh, I just watched No Way Home and I thought to myself, okay, like I just watched No Way Home. I was really hyped. I was really, uh, I was really thinking that maybe that was the greatest Spider-Man movie of all time, but I wanted, I wanted to give Spider-Man 2 a fair shot. So I came back, uh, this morning I woke up, I watched Spider-Man 2 again, and I think for me right now it firmly sits at number three. And I know it's a bit lower than maybe some people want want to give it, give it, but honestly, I think it deserves it. And there's a couple of reasons why, and we'll talk about it, talk it through. So for me, this is the most iconic Spider-Man movie. This is the mo. These are the moments that really. St- it has a lot of moments with Peter Parker specifically that stand out in my head as making him like that lovable kick puppy. My favorite moments in this movie are really just scenes where Peter Parker is being really downtrodden upon. There's like the scene where he's like going to tie his shoe and then a bunch of student bags start hitting him in the head. There's the scene where he's talking on the phone with MJ and he wants to he wants to continue the conversation but he doesn't even have enough money to continue that conversation with MJ and he wa- and he wants to admit that he's Spider-Man to her but it's just like it just doesn't work out. I think that the villain of the story is really good with uh, Norman, uh, with Doc Ock being the main villain. Uh, his uh, and it's really a very more different dynamic. Whereas Norman was kind of like this chaotic evil. Uh, Norman is more like this chaotic, is more of this evil neutral kind of character, right? He believes very firmly what he wants, what he wa- or what he wants to do. Doc, 
Doc Ock firmly believes what he wants to do, but it's just it's just misguided, right? And and him and Peter's relationship in the beginning of the film is just really a fun dynamic that explores the fact that you know he tells Peter, "Hey, Pete, you know, like like if you want to win a girl over, you like give her poetry." And when Peter d- decides to do that with MJ, she's just like, "Ah, oh, gross! Stop it!" <laughs> I just I find it very funny. I think that uh, the fact that uh, Doc Ock is a bit more of a dork. Uh, is just very fun, but also it's a great reflection on Peter. You can see how Peter can become kind of that type of villain. Uh, and I think that that works really well. Uh, and then like, as far as iconic moments go, I mean, like take your pick. I mean, the train sequence is, is just really, really good. It's so solid. Uh, the scene where Peter tells uncle Ben that he doesn't want to be Spider-Man anymore. And then him throwing the Spider-Man suit in the trash can, just really great. Uh, the only reason why I put this a little bit lower than than uh, the next movie on the list is that it kind of stood out to me more this this viewing how much how much like I don't like particularly love Peter and MJ's relationship. Uh, Peter kind of comes off as a bit whiny and maybe a bit you know manipulative. Like obviously he doesn't want to tell. He doesn't want to tell MJ he's Spider-Man, but I think there's like better ways he can go about it where he's not like constantly ruining her life being like, yeah, I love you. Oh, yeah, but like I don't, you know, I think there's like a better way that Peter could handle that situation. And then MJ also being very indecisive and also leaving her her fiance at the altar kind of rubbed me the wrong way this time. I don't know what it was about it this time, but I was just like, yeah, like MJ like well actually i think for me this one scene that like bothered me was like the one scene where she's like uh talking to her fiance and she's like yeah tilt your head back and she starts making out with him and you know she's thinking about like making out with Pete, with uh spider-man and wondering he, if he's actually peter parker and i just i don't know like that kind of stuff like kind of bothers me more now as an adult than it wouldn't have uh, bothered me uh, as a as a kid but again like another uh iconic scene Let's leave on a positive. I think maybe one of the more underrated uh, iconic scenes was the scene where uh, where Peter and MJ are talking and he wants to tell her so badly that he loves her. And then all of a sudden, a car just comes flying through the windows of that coffee shop. And it's a scene that doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it. Like, why would Doc Ock throw a car at Peter if he wants to get the location of Spider-Man? But it's just so well done and well directed that I really love love seeing that like it's just so it's just so good and again well while sam raimi's directing style is and uh his character work can come off as very cheesy and like a lot of machismo i do think his his directing and the way he like choreographs these shots like i really love every shot that he uses for whenever uh his spider sense is going off that i think that it more than makes up for maybe his lacking in like uh character realism but i don't know like re-watching it though i think i still have to put it at number three but it is it is really close all right so let's go ahead and let's talk about my number two movie and it is spider-man no way home like i'm just gonna say it it is spider-man no way home now so this for this movie i have to kind of break it out into two sections we're gonna do the non-spoilers and then the spoiler section so non-spoilers is just anything that has been seen in the trailers. Uh, but uh, yeah, just anything seen in the trailer. So we know that there are multiple here uh, villains in the movie. We know who some of those villains are like Doc Ock. Uh, 
Green Goblin, and anything outside of those trailers, um, we will not be discussing as part of the film because I do want people to see this film with like just a totally fresh slate, and that's kind of what the internet. Uh, or at least every reviewer I've seen, that's what they've agreed upon. It's like, if it's in the trailer, you're good to talk about it. If it's not, then maybe save it for a later video. Uh, I'll also be putting time links. Um, when I when we start talking about the spoilers, I'll be putting a time link in the uh, description uh, saying where you can skip to, and then we'll uh, we'll kind of continue on from there. So, so non-spoilers, uh, I really like this movie. Obviously, I really like it. Like This is my number two Spider-Man movie of all time. I think that out of all the Spider-Man films, this is definitely the darkest. Uh, this might be the darkest MCU film overall, but it still is kind of lighthearted in some ways. Uh, Willem Dafoe, uh, Doc Ock, and uh, Jamie Foxx, like you've heard, have been doing, have done a really great job with those characters and uh, those villains, and they come off in this movie as a lot more sympathetic and a lot more um, in Jamie Foxx's case, just a lot more. Uh, a lot more charisma given to that character, right? And they are given a little bit more to do. Where whereas Spider-Man Three feels overstuffed with villains, uh, this this um, this movie feels like it's really focused more on Peter and his growth as a character, and uh, then then Spider-Man Three does, and I think that helps focuses the movie and still have and still is able to have all these different things going on in the film, right? Um, I feel. I feel pretty good about the chemistry of the main cast. I think Zendaya, uh, Peter, and uh, the guy who plays Ned, I can't remember his name off the top of his head, of my head, but I feel like those three uh, really play well off of each other, and seeing kind of their more team dynamics was a lot more interesting. And overall, there's just a lot of really good things in this movie. I am sorry, I can't be more specific, but soon I can be. In fact, in three, two... One, we are going to go into spoilers. Now, if you want to skip, go ahead and skip. But I'm giving you one last warning before I talk about anything uh, else about this movie. All right. Is everybody gone? Okay, good. All right. So what I really loved about this movie and how this movie was made is that it really recontextualizes all the other movies in the other and the other far from like the home series of Spider-Man, I guess if that's what you would call it, the John Watts Spider-Mans, right? Where it, it has this moment, uh, and again, very big spoiler, so please leave if you're still here, but where the, the big moment is where the Green Goblin kills Aunt May, and having that scene play out, and having Peter, that being like, and having Aunt May say, with great power comes great responsibility, and you need to help these villains. You need to help these people if you want to be a real hero. I think was just such a brilliant decision and so unexpected that for me, it really, that's the moment that really puts it above a lot of these other Spider-Man films because we spent time getting to see Aunt May and Peter, seeing their relationship and having that taken away by the Green Goblin, a villain who's notorious from taking things away from Spider-Man, which is so good and just so interesting to see. And I think that what it recon the reason why it recontextualizes the other movies is that the other movies now kind of feel more like more like prequels to this movie in the sense that like this was like a, this movie felt like the origins of of this uh, this version of Spider-Man like this is now Spider-Man this is the character fully realized and by the end of the film you really you really see that like it, in the beginning of the film you see Tom Holland Spider-Man you see like this plucky kid 
who's got a lot of fight in him and is willing to do good. But by the end of the film, you get to see him being kind of more weighed down by his responsibilities. Most notably in the fact that uh, at the end of the film, all of reality is breaking. And the only way for him to save everybody is to have uh, Doctor Strange cast that spell that makes everybody forget who Peter Parker is. And because of that, he has to give up his relationship with MJ, has to give up his relationship with Ned and on every single character in the MCU. And while he doesn't have Aunt May anymore, you really feel like it's this really tough and completely selfless decision that Peter has to make. And he makes that decision. He goes, he goes and finds MJ and he's about to explain everything to her. But then he sees that bandaid on her head and realizes that no, no, he can't do that. Like, she she and Ned both got accepted into a college. They're going to MIT. They're going to live potentially really happy lives. And they just... And for him to for him to take that away from her would have been just so selfish on his part that he decides just to let it go. And if that's not Spider-Man, I don't know what is. You know, I think that for me, this really confirms that I've always thought that Tom Holland was maybe the best Spider-Man, but for me, this really cements him as the best live action Spider-Man that I've seen. And I don't know, it was just, it was really good. And then speaking of Spider-Man, I mean, let's go ahead and let's talk about seeing Toby and Andrew back in the film. Uh, I, it was so fun. It was just so fun watching that in a theater, seeing that live, uh, especially the Andrew, Andrew reveal, because, uh, as it happens in the movie, Ned uh, ends up getting Doctor Strange's uh, weird little portal maker uh, thing on his hand, which I actually forgotten about uh, that he, that he needed that ring to do it. But he he gets the ring, and he's like, "Okay, I need to find Peter." So he opens a portal, and then uh, there there is Andrew Garfield Spider Man, and what and hearing the audience reaction to that was just so fun because I knew from the moment that. Uh, that he turned around and he waved like Andrew, like Andrew has like this very specific, like lanky way that he moves around his Spider-Man. And I just, I had the sense that like, Oh, that this is, this is Andrew. And I was like, so pumped. But then like hearing the audience, like gradually, gradually, uh, gradually like be like, Oh my gosh, it's really here. It's really happening. And then for him to pull off his mask and be like, yep, I'm Andrew Garfield. Turns out I am the werewolf. And then he eats everybody. No, that's, that doesn't happen. But if you've seen the interview with uh, Jimmy Fallon, you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, just seeing that on screen was just so was just so cool. And I'm really glad. I am really glad that overall M- the MC... Uh, that the MCU decided to leave him and Toby out of the trailers because... Because there is there like even though like you know in your heart of hearts that it was true like you knew that Andrew was lying you knew that Toby was in this movie it said on IMDb that they were in this movie like you knew you knew I was just so I was so ready to be disappointed I was like Zendaya's character I was just expecting disappointment I was expecting them to show up maybe in the third act of the film but they show up in like this really good spot in this like nice halfway point and. Also, like Toby coming back, coming back. It was so good to see Toby. Like it was, it was so good to see him. And like he, like he looks great. You know, it's so. It was so fun seeing him. It was so fun watching all three Spider Men interact with one another. They have this great scene in the lab where they're all just kind of, uh, where they're all just kind of uh, working on their own little science projects. And you see each one of them like uh, do their own things. I I love it. 
And honestly, like again, I really, I really do like Andrew Garfield as as Spider Man. This is his best performance as Spider Man, and the reason why is because the writing was so good with him. Uh, he he carried a lot of weight on his shoulders, you know. Uh, the best, I think, the best scene in the movie was probably the scene where where him him and uh, Tom Holland and Tobey Maguire are like all together on the roof and is right after Aunt May died. And the way that uh, Toby Toby and Andrew comfort Peter in that moment was just really good. You know, uh, Andrew talking talking to Peter and being like, you know, like in my universe, my, my MJ died, my Gwen Stacy died, and I stopped pulling punches. I was just like, when he said that, I got chills. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is... This is a really broken Spider-Man and what an interesting character, you know, and he says that he had this all these different regrets and stuff. And I just I really liked what what the context was there. And then Toby telling, you know, telling him that, look, you know, when my when my uh, Uncle Ben died, I went to go kill his I went and chased after his killer and I killed him and I regret it, you know, and I just thought that the way that they both kind of helped Peter in that moment and potentially stopped him from becoming a supervillain necessary. I was just really good. And then also um, I I would feel I had, I didn't write this down in the script, but I'd feel remiss to say it. But when it's a moment that we all kind of know happens, but when M when uh, MJ falls off the rafter in the trailer, uh, it is not, it is not Tom Holland that catches her. It is Andrew Garfield. And they set that up earlier in the movie and when he catches her, there's just like this look on Andrew's face and everybody like joyously cheered when he did it. And there's just like, it is so like, I well up like thinking about Andrew's face because it just feels like this huge, huge burden has been like kind of lifted off of his shoulders. You know, he's, he is like the darker version of Spider-Man and it just, and he has like all these regrets, but he, like when he, when he realizes that he had just saved like a person that, uh, when he realized this, that he kind of gets this re- weird redemption in this movie, it just felt so good. And I, it's a moment that I hadn't felt really since Endgame, right? This weird legacy moment where you just, where you see all three Spider-Man fighting together and you're just like, you, you realize that, wow, you've been watching all these different types of, all these different films for, since I was a kid, right? Like since I was, gosh, like five and now I'm seeing something that I've never thought I would see in a million years. And it was just this really great legacy moment. But I still, I still would put it at number two. And we're going to talk about my number one a little bit here because I can't talk about uh, some of these points and why I put this one at number two without talking about number one, which is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, because I would say that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse technically did it first and it did it maybe better like i would say that maybe the scene where both peters were comforting you know peter <laughs> such a weird sentence to say uh i thought that that was maybe done a little bit better in this movie but spider-man in the spider-verse did it first and it really laid the groundwork for this movie and uh and so that's kind of why I would put this one at number two, whereas I put Into the Spider-Verse at number one. But anyway, that's it. Uh, that's it for spoilers. Um, if you made it back, hello, welcome back. We're just going to pretend like nothing happened, right? I just talked about Spider-Man No Way Home and, uh, you know, I didn't tell you anything. So anyway, so my number one movie, and I'm only repeating this for some, but my number one Spider-Man movie is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And... And... I think the re- main reason why 
is that this movie really surprised me when I went in to go see it. I was expecting a pretty good film I w- when I went to go see this movie. I was not expecting the greatest superhero film maybe of all time, right? And the two biggest things for me in this movie, or for any movie that I watch, is an uh, overarching theme and really good characters, right? Having those characters and seeing how they kind of wrestle with this theme. And I thought this movie particularly did something more interesting with the Spider-Man theme. You know, the main Spider-Man theme is with great power comes great responsibility. That is the main theme of most of these movies, right? But this movie really tackled like this other theme, which was that anybody can wear the mask. And I thought that was so smart considering the fact that they were going into a multiverse and the fact that they introduced so many different versions of Spider-Man. I thought it was really great. I thought that Peter B. Parker might be my favorite version of the Peter Parker character. And I like how the movie explores how being Spider-Man has just kind of completely ruined his life. Yet he's still yet he's still at his core, he's still Peter. He is still Peter Parker. He's still Spider-Man. And he's still good at his job, right? He still goes out, fights uh, criminals, you know, and he's still effective. You know, he's just a little bit more schlubby, right? He's just a little bit more downtrodden, beaten up. And his relationship with Miles... And seeing that grow and seeing is just really is really nice. It's really heartfelt. Uh, his final confrontation where he tells Miles like he's not ready to go, and Miles just tells him, "Look, you just gotta go, man. Like you gotta you gotta try to make things right with MJ." And he says, "Yeah, but like, but like, what if I screw up?" And and Miles tells him what he told what uh, Peter told him earlier in the movie. He's like, "Like you won't." He's like, "Yeah." It's a leap of faith. Like that move, that moment is one of the great Spider-Man moments of all time. And again, I just really love, I really love uh, the animation. I think that this movie has the chance to age the best out of any of these Spider-Man films. Uh, It has great, like drop your jaw moments. Uh, My favorite reveal in the movie was when, um, was when Peter was captured uh, by scientist lady. And then she reveals that she's actually this universe's Doc Ock. I remember the crowd being like, like somebody in the crowd being like, oh, <laughs> when that was revealed. And it was just like this movie moment that I will always remember. And there's just so much, there's just so much personality and color that it kind of, it, it tricks you, like, right? It, it really does. There's like a lot of darker, like a lot of darker um, elements that come into place in this movie, you know? It tricks you in the sense that like you're watching another Spider-Man origin story. You see another Uncle Ben die, except in this case, it's Uncle Aaron. And it turns out that he was the Prowler, which was also just a great, great story reveal and made the movie just feel so fresh and, and just good. Like it, felt good watching this movie and i remember i remember just like this ball of excitement as as soon as the credits rolled where i was like wow i i cannot i can't even sleep right now you know and i felt that certainly with uh no way home but but it was different it was way different with into the spider-verse and i think that that's why it will always be a little bit up like if i think about the only thing I need to think about in Into the Spider-Verse to make me smile is just thinking about the opening scene where Peter Parker explains who Spider-Man is and it's just so fun and and engaging, you know? And and I that's why. That's why it's the number one Spider-Man film for me of all time. Whew. Anyway, so hopefully this uh, this entertained you a little bit. Uh, if you disagree with my rankings, by the way, I, I don't really care because you're wrong and I'm right. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, if you disagree with my rankings, like just you know, let me know. I'm I'm 
totally open to hearing like different opinions. Uh, you can try to convince me that Amazing Spider-Man is the best Spider-Man movie of all time. I'll hear you out, you know. I might not, and never agree with that take, but I'll hear you out, and I would love to hear it. But anyway, you can let me know by going to my website how it's going so far. I'm going to post the show notes of this uh, episode onto the website along with uh, a link to the podcast just to give yourself, if you want to help me with the extra downloads and stuff like that. And you can leave a comment on the post. Um, if you have... Um, other than that, I think that Spider-Man is just such a great character. I can't... Uh, there's so much other stuff I want to talk about with Spider-Man. I can't wait to see what they kind of do with Spider-Man as it con- kind of continues forward in the MCU. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, again, my name is David Shire, and uh, that's how it's been going so far. <laughs>